You're listening to Mama Murdered a Podcast, and I'm so excited because this is the first episode of stories submitted by you, the listeners. I've reached out on social media, and I've asked everybody that has a crazy story to send me your craziest, scariest, most terrifying stories that you've ever experienced, and I have a few, and they're all true, and they all come from you, so I'm pretty excited. The first story I have for you comes from a listener with the same name as my youngest son, but y'all don't know his name, which means she doesn't want you to know her name. We're going to call her Anonymous. So without further ado, let's get it. I'm a funeral director in a really small town area outside of rural Arkansas. We have a sheriff who posts everything on our county sheriff Facebook page, and I do mean everything. I'm sure that I can't find the post, but the gist of it was, I can't believe this is happening. Domestic violence goes both ways, and it's not always the men who are abusers, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of leave them, everyone in the town in the dark on the details. But then it comes out later that a woman had shot her husband like four or five times, and that the majority of those shots were to his back. She was later arrested, but she was let out of jail the very next morning. The sheriff couldn't believe that she wasn't going to be charged, But since there was no previous record of domestic violence or any other kinds of calls to the couple's house, etc., we all know that that doesn't mean there wasn't abuse going on from the husband or the wife, but I digress. So the next day, I get a call at work that I have funeral arrangements for Bob, the husband that was shot, and that the family were all coming in the next morning to meet with me. At this point, I had no idea who this person is. I just knew they had an appointment to plan a funeral for the following day. So the first person to come in for the appointment was a little old man, and he was just making small talk, and I made him a cup of coffee. He then tells me that his wife is coming to join him shortly, and I said, oh, yeah, I figured there would be more family here. And that's when this little old man looks at me and says, well, Barb, the murdered man's wife, should be in jail. I don't know why she would even be allowed to come to my son's services, especially when she's the one who killed him. Now, here's a good time to insert my shock and disbelief when I realized what was going on and that this was the case that I'd heard about. But this is literally my job. I have to keep my cool. I don't know the whole story. Just what I've seen that's been posted on Facebook. So later during the services, some middle-aged woman comes in and shortly after, the two kids follow suit. They come into the services and the middle-aged woman, who I now know was Barb and all of her sons, all follow me to the arrangements room and they're all acting as if nothing's wrong. This couple's sons were just acting like their dad had just died of natural causes or some shit. Or maybe they didn't think I even knew what the fuck was going on. So we planned the funeral, and it was all super awkward, because the only person listed as the next of kin that the coroner gave me was the son. And the reason for that was because at the time, Barb, the mom, was in jail for murder. Yeah, Barb had been arrested for the murder of her husband, Bob. So I'm nosy, and I just kept asking the son for his opinion on what had happened. And eventually, the son does ask his mom, Barb, and when he asks his mom, and I'm like, who am I supposed to be talking to? Well, then it turns out the family wants to pay for the funeral arrangements with a life insurance policy. So I'm like, okay, just let me call them right quick. So I go into my office and the company that the policy is with asks if it was a murder and if so, who the suspects were and if they'd been prosecuted yet or not. So now I have to go back and tell this family, this awkward ass family, 
And I have to let them know that they'll have to come up with the money themselves out of pocket. At this point, because the life insurance company is not going to pay out this policy on a probable murder. And that they especially weren't going to pay out anything to Barb. Who, by the way, was the beneficiary of Bob's policy. And they weren't going to pay that out for obvious reasons. Then comes the funeral, and it's the absolute worst. It is so awkward. And again, I have to be nice to the wife because that is my job. After all, I'm not the law, I'm just the funeral director. But you could cut the tension in that room with a knife. Holy shit, it was just too weird. So many people came out, mostly to rubberneck and be nosy, I'm sure, but it was so awkward nonetheless. And when people went down the line of the family to give their condolences, I'm like 98% sure that half of them didn't even know what was going on. They probably didn't know that Barb was the one suspected of killing Bob. People were asking me how Bob died, and I literally (laughs) always just say, you should go ask his dad, (laughs) because what else can I really say about it? Then there was Bob's side of the family, and none of them were given a flying fuck about Barb's feelings, obviously. And they would talk shit to her out loud, in public or in private, where her kids could hear exactly what they were saying and make sure they could hear them clearly. It was just super weird all around, but I just looked up Barb's case net, which is how to look up charges in Arkansas. And I can't find anything at all for Barb now, not even a speeding ticket. The sheriff hasn't really posted anything else about it other than a handful of times. The sheriff's office did call me later to ask questions about Barb and about Bob's death certificate, which I did end up turning over a copy of Bob's death certificate to the local sheriff's office, but I don't think anything ever came of it, or at least nothing came of it that I know about. So maybe this isn't super exciting or as interesting as other stories, but I did meet a murderer. This next story is from a listener who didn't actually say if I could use their name or not, so we're going to call them anonymous as well. When I was eight, my family went camping like we always did every summer, but this time my dad and my uncle didn't go. It was my mom, my aunt, and their five kids. I was the oldest, and it was a normal day. We went swimming, ate dinner, and got ready for bed. It wasn't dark yet, but the sun was starting to set. It was around 8 p.m., and our moms were asking all of us kids to get our stuff out of the car. It's important to know that we were staying in a trailer that our grandparents owned, so we weren't in tents. We all go out and around the side, and we all immediately freeze. There was a UFO across the street. We all yell for our moms, and of course, they come running. They look for a minute, and my aunt says, we should go inside. So we did. That's when my mom pointed out the fact that we had all been outside for about four hours, but for what felt like two minutes, literally. But by the time we got in, it was already midnight, and it was about 8 p.m. when we were all outside. It felt like minutes, but it had actually been hours. We left the next morning and never went back, and it wasn't until after that night that I started having what felt like dreams, or maybe it was memories but they're always of me being on that UFO. And it's always so real that I can see my sister crying. I can see my mom and my aunt trying to console the youngest two that were with us there. And I still have these dreams, and it's been more than 20 years since this incident. 
This next story is also from the listener of the UFO story from right before this, so their name will still be anonymous. Last year, my family decided to let a friend move in with us. She had an adult son who had moved in with us too. It was going well. They helped with rent and stuff around the house. And one day, out of nowhere, the friend that had moved in with us, she texted me. And all it said was, I need to talk to you right now. So I go into her room and she's crying. She looks me dead in my eyes and tells me, I'm so sorry. My son has been 3D printing guns and he got pulled over this morning and he shot a cop. I'm stunned and shocked and that's when she tells me, but don't worry, he's going to turn himself in right now. Also, my son thinks the officer will be fine. He had a bulletproof vest on. I'm freaking out at this point. At the time, I had a house full of teenagers who were all getting ready for a concert. I wasn't able to get all of the kids home before the FBI showed up at my door, which was also the point when I had to call all of their parents in order to get permission to be their guardian while they were questioned by authorities. Unfortunately, the officer that was shot did not end up making it. That son's friend is now facing the death penalty, and it was all just so crazy. I had no idea that this was even going on, and I definitely had no idea that her son was capable of such horrible things. Now, this next story comes from dolphinlover underscore 23 underscore 07. Listener discretion is probably a good idea on this story. So, when I was eight years old, my brother and I were walking to school at about 7 a.m., and we had to walk through this other apartment complex to get to school. As we walked, there was an older man, probably somewhere in his 70s, and he was outside with two or three puppies. So naturally, me and my little brother stopped to pet one. I noticed a few minutes later that my brother had already stopped petting the puppies and had proceeded to head towards the schoolhouse. He'd kind of just left me there. But before I knew it, this older man had somehow managed to pull me into his apartment. Once inside, I was told to touch him. He'd even ordered me to rub Vaseline on his penis and balls. I knew that this was wrong, so I told him I wasn't going to do that. And without warning, he slapped me several times in the face, and that's when he told me that I was, in fact, going to do exactly what he told me to do. This is when he started touching me and inserting his fingers into me. And again, I'm about eight years old. I was then forced to get into his bed where he would then go on to rape me repeatedly over the course of the next few hours. And this had gone on for several hours because by about 4 p.m., this older man's daughter and his granddaughter had showed up unannounced at his apartment to visit with him. When he heard the knocking and the noises of his daughter and granddaughter at his front door, he panicked because naturally he didn't want them to find out about me being in his apartment And he definitely didn't want them to find out what he had been doing to me for hours on end. So he shoved me into his closet and told me to be still and to be quiet. And then he told me that if I didn't, he would hurt me. I think he thought that he had locked the closet door, but he hadn't. Thank God. So I was able to get out and escape through a window. I went and I found my daddy who had been looking and searching for me for several hours at this point. And I was finally able to get it all out and to tell my dad where I had been and what had been happening to me for all of those hours that he'd been searching for me for. As I tried to explain in the best way I knew how and tell my dad everything that this much older man had just done to me, 
Needless to say, once my dad listened to me pour my heart out to him, and after he heard all the things that I was too young to know about that had happened to me, my dad went to this older man's house, and he beat this old man. I guess you could say my daddy got some street justice of his own. That's when my daddy called the cops and told them everything. When the police arrived at this old man's house, where his daughter and granddaughter were still visiting with them, they were able to arrest him. Now, naturally, his daughter was mortified and in disbelief. She could not believe that her dad would do that to someone, but he did. He'd done it to me for hours before his daughter had ever showed up. When this older man finally went to trial, he ended up taking a plea for 25 years to life. This next story is from a listener named Destiny, and the weather is not agreeing with this time of recording. I keep having to stop for the rain, but the thundering and lightning are just a cracking. so if you hear it, I'm sorry. (laughs) So the story from Destiny goes, My mother was married to a murderer when she was 18. His name was Marcus W. Blaylock. Marcus and my mom were introduced to one another by my uncle. People who knew them together and as a couple when they were still married, like my mom's half-brother, has said that the entire relationship was very much a love-bombing situation. My mom had even ran away with Marcus before she turned 18. My grandma said that they were only together for about a year and all of the information that I have about this relationship or this story is what I've been told through other family members that were there to experience it. My mom and Marcus got married in 1989, and I wasn't born until 1993. So this is all a secondhand account, but pretty factual from what I've seen and read. But what I do know is that a young woman's body was found, and the police were able to trace the murder back to my mom's husband, Marcus Blaylock, thanks to DNA evidence that had been left behind at the scene. This woman's name was Barbara Jean Whitesell, and she was only 19 years old at the time that her life was taken from her. I also know that Marcus had even tried to frame my uncle's cousin for the murder and that the cops showed up at my grandma's house looking for my mom, trying to track Marcus down. Marcus also had an accomplice in this murder, a man by the name of Clifton. There's no doubt in my mind that Marcus and Clifton were intending to make my mother their next victim. Even though my mom didn't believe that Marcus could even be capable of such heinous things, that was until he finally confessed to being the murderer, The only thing I really know about Marcus is that he and my mom married in 1989 and that he was arrested in 1990. I also know that he's serving a life sentence at a correctional facility in Oregon, which is exactly where he belongs. Barbara didn't deserve what happened to her, and I'm glad to share at least a small part of her story. Now, I have two more short stories, and these are both from Raven. Hey, girl, hey. So, Raven's first story goes as follows. So, I had two different neighbors. One was a grown adult, and I'd known him since I was about 8 to 10-ish. I'd hang out with him and his girlfriend all the time. One day, I went with him and one of his guy friends, who was a mutual friend and adult, to an isolated field. He claimed that he had stuff to pick up from a mobile home on the land. I felt uneasy about this, but I didn't know why. We left, and about a month later, the guy that had been the mutual friend that had rode with us 
had actually been murdered by the first guy and his accomplice at an apartment. They cut the carpet out where the murder had happened and put the mutual friend into the guy's trunk of the car into the trunk of the guy's car. They tried to clean the trunk out with cleaning supplies and then drove this guy's car into a desolate highway, put his body in the trunk of his own car, and set it on fire. The accomplice went to prison, but the other guy got away with it, and the accomplice ended up getting out 10 years later, and he killed two other people. This next story is also from Raven. This guy was about 18, 19-ish years old, and I was maybe 14, 15 years old. I knew him for a few years, and myself and my best friend would go anywhere with the second guy. From random train tracks to haunted houses, he was very odd and would get mad a lot, but didn't really seem out of the norm for a teenage male. We hung out with him all the time, all hours of the night, once he tried leaving us at train tracks, and another time he'd locked his doors at a haunted house and thought it was funny for a clown to chase me. Looking back, I guess he enjoyed seeing someone in fear. Morbid, I know. But a few years later, I saw him on the news and that he was in prison on a murder charge. He met a woman who was living on her own and had a social security income. They had gotten into an argument where he choked her, tied her up, tortured her, and then placed a plastic bag over her head and taped it so that she couldn't breathe. When they found him, he had been living in her home with her body in the next room for about a week. He's still in prison to this day. And I think that'll do it for this week. I have another one, but it's super, super, super long. And I have a few more, but I don't want to make these too long. Like, I don't want to make the episodes too long. So if you have something, send it to mamamurderedapodcast at gmail.com with as much detail as possible. And make sure to let me know if I need to remove your name, change cities, states, etc. And this is not a normal episode, so I'm not sure what to say at the end of this. I guess let's try to do it again next month. Okay, bye. That's how my mama murdered a podcast.